and this may be a little controversial to say, but but honestly, I think the lifespan of the PGA guy might might be a little less now because mm. of the shape of the game being changed. I mean, goodness gracious, take a look at some of the winners, you know, from the past couple of years. I mean, we've got a lot of young guys, right? Yeah. And a, a lot of names that, you know, everyone's like, wait a minute, I haven't heard of that guy. And he's winning, right? And he's looking fit and he's looking strong. And welcome to episode 31 of the Graph Golf Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Fairholm. We are going to get right into this week's episode because we have a very special guest in Mr. Damon Goddard. Damon is a sports performance coach for Jordan Spieth, Will Zalatoris, Davis Riley, and many other notable players. So in this episode, we discuss how he got into the career of training elite golfers, the relationship between mobility, flexibility, and muscle, why golf could be heading towards much shorter career spans, why back issues occur in the golf swing, what fitness looks like at the highest level, and a ton more. It's really an insightful conversation with someone who is incredibly close to some of the game's best players. So we hope you really enjoy it. Here is Damon Goddard. It's my pleasure to welcome Damon Goddard onto the Graph Golf Podcast. Damon is on site at the WGC Match Play Championship in Austin as we record this on Tuesday before the tournament. Damon, thanks for coming on. How has the week treated you at this point? <laughs> it's been a great week. Uh, avoided a little bit of the weather yesterday. Um, gotta love Texas. You got uh, perfect sunshine, then clouds, and then tornadoes, and then hails, and then perfect sunshine. So kind of goes hand in hand with what we say in Texas. If you don't like the weather, just wait five minutes. But uh, we got a beautiful day today, and it's been highly productive for the guys. So is this a normal week for you working with tour players or is it just because you are based in Dallas and have the opportunity to come over to Austin for the week? No, this is absolutely convenient that it's in Austin because it is close to home, but I, I'll get out to quite a few of the tournaments for the guys, um, even ones that are not you know local. Uh, but also, you know, when they're uh, at home for an off week, we're absolutely grinding at home as well. So I, I'll try to get out to quite a few of the tournaments for the guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I have a ton of questions that I want to ask you, but let's start with this week. What does it look like? Who are you seeing and how often are you seeing them? It's interesting because this week's a little bit different with the match play, right? Because we're starting um, on Wednesday. Um, so a lot of the volume that you would normally put in at the beginning of the week with a lot of the athletes, um, you got to modify it a little bit. But in general, I'll kind of give a blanket statement for some of the you know plan of attack on our on our athletes is, you know, Monday and Tuesday, we kind of have our more high volume type workouts um, and it's par for course. And in terms of what progression we're on at that given time. And so like these guys, like a Will and a Jordan, you know, we've got Augusta coming up. Right. And so we're trying to get everything to peak at the right time, um, you know, right before Augusta. Um, and so we're on a particular progression or, you know, for those who don't know what a progression is, you know, particular type of workout program, right? Um, and so we'll use those uh, type of programs as like different prescriptions and dosing, right? And so you kind of undulate the dosing a little bit to lead up to uh, a major, but a week like um, a normal week, you had kind of a higher volume workout on so Monday, Tuesday, a little bit more of a mid-volume, more multi-directional. Make sure you know, your athlete is 
highly recovered for the rigors of Thursday through hopefully uh, the last group on Sunday. And so throughout the Thursday, Sunday, um, you know, the way I like to utilize it, and some guys are a little bit different, but, you know, most of our athletes here on the PGA Tour, you know, when I do a warm up with some of these guys, quite honestly, it's, it's kind of the average Joe's type of workout, right? And I mean, we're really getting after it. And so we're actually utilizing our warm up to prime everything and get the engine ready. Once we hit the driving range, we're executing shots. We're not using golf to warm up or warming up to play golf, right? Mm -hmm. And so, um, and so I'll actually take modifications from like our Monday and Tuesday type programming, plug them into our warm ups Thursday through Sunday. And then we have specific recovery strategies post round as well that we'll implement. So no stone unturned to get the body moving and feeling well. It, it, there's a lot that goes into it. Um, you know, also you're mon you know, monitoring the nutrition, hydration, all those levels as well. So a lot goes into the week. You know, I've been in the sports performance world for over 23 years. And I'd say 18 of those have been highly golf uh, specific. I remember um you know traveling with my very first guy uh gosh this must be yeah, it was about 18 years ago 17 years ago brant job now he plays in the champions tour right sure uh i remember traveling with him uh the comparison to back then to now uh in the fitness trailer is significantly different um you know the the, the shape of the game has completely changed uh whereas back then you know, a fairly small percentage of the players actually took their fitness regimen seriously. Um, then, you know, you had the whole Tiger effect where he looked like a linebacker and was winning literally everything, right? Uh, so there must have been something to uh, implementing fitness and performance into the, the everyday athlete or the golf athlete. But now you take a look at, you know, the fitness trailer, and uh, you know, just the, the physicality of the players right now. I mean, goodness, this week we got, you know, the top players in the world and every one of them looks like an athlete and every one of them is young and fit and, and, you know, performing at a really high level. Um, not to knock back then, they, they, they definitely got it done. But um, now more so than ever, they're understanding that, you know, the main thing, obviously, implementing fitness is to reduce the risk of injury, right? So they're trying to, you know, stay injury uh, proof, but at the same time, Man, you got to have performance levels, and if you're, you know, not utilizing your speeds well, and not, um, you know, having a lot of dynamic stability through a lot of difficult shots, um, you're going to just get left behind with a lot of the younger guns coming up. I want to go back to that in a second, but first, let, let's start with your background in golf. Did, did you play a lot growing up, and how does somebody get into a position of your caliber in the training world? <laughs> that's an awesome question Sean. uh <laughs> did i play golf a resounding no uh, my dad was a football coach and uh and we also grew up in new mexico and in the desert and we moved to moved to dallas and moved to houston but um but honestly i was not around golf quite a bit um so my my father was a football coach i played soccer played all the way up to the highest level we can and um and so i always played with my feet my whole life but Throughout my studies, um, you know, there was a really cool time in my life when I was about 16 years old, had a massive injury, um, and was told I was never going to play sports again. Um, and I'm a little bullheaded. And so 
did the surgery, went through the therapy and was absolutely fascinated by the sports medicine side, right? You know, how in the world is it that I'm seeing these people come from surgery to then performing at a really high level? And quite honestly, it really intrigued me and it was fascinating to me. And so kind of the, I like to call it the art of of rehabilitation or the art of performance because it was very magical to me to see that. So I made the choice really early on. I knew exactly what I wanted to do. Um, at least, you know, educationally uh, to jump into college. And uh, luckily, luckily, I was able to come back and play soccer and play at a very high level. Um, and the university that I went to, Lee University, uh, offered a really cool program with exercise science, emphasis on biology. And, uh, and so I just dove head first into understanding the human body um, and, and, and how to elicit performance. Um, then I carried on a lot of the, the educational piece with a lot of my advanced studies, uh, whether that be um, exercise physiology or even functional, uh, functional nutrition. Um, so, I, you know, I'm perpetually a student, right? And uh, I, I always say the moment you stop learning is the moment you stop teaching. So, I mean, even if this old goat that you're looking at right now, uh, I still do a lot of education because the simple fact is, is it just keeps the sh- mind really sharp. And quite honestly, it, it equips me, um, much like I tell these guys out here, I mean, 1% is going to make the difference, right? And so if I can acquire a little bit more knowledge base to then implement the 1% every single day to these guys uh, through education, I think it's very powerful. So education is very powerful. So, uh, but to get back with it, um, yeah, so when I was roughly around 23, I finished, uh, you know, finished playing soccer. Um, and then I actually had to get a real job, right? And so I knew, uh, I knew that I always wanted to get into the sports performance world. I didn't know what it looked like, though, quite honestly. I didn't know, you know, there was a lot of personal training. There's different studios. I knew I didn't want to do the health club thing. Um, but I was introduced to some really key people that were in the sports performance world and um, was able to, when I was... Uh, 23 to start my first business in the sports performance uh, setting and um and it took off like wildfire um and so i started working with a lot of football a lot of basketball i worked with the you know the the avid athletes as well um or the you know the, the weekend athletes um but then slowly i started to get a lot of these um golfers in and so or golf athletes Quite honestly, at first taste of it, I was like, wait a minute, you're a golfer, man. I mean, all you do is drink and smoke on the course. I mean, you don't need performance levels. But quite honestly, once I stepped back and really started to take a look at the golf swing and understand uh, the mechanics behind it, understand the rigors of the sport, um, you know, this was even, you know, kind of the insurgence of TPI wasn't really around. There wasn't a lot of information around that tethered performance and golf together and um and so i was like you know what this is really interesting um it to see if we can bridge the gap that we have from other sports um like football and basketball and and utilize the performance training within the golf uh setting and so i just took a a big leap and i said you know what i want to focus on on the golf athlete but before i did that i make sure that i understood every single nuance that I potentially could. Um, and so I actually took about three months off and I surrounded myself with the, uh, the top instructors in the DFW area. And, um, and I also, you know, just read so much literature is bonkers. Um, 
but to just to simply understand the golf swing. And I actually went through the golf lessons myself as well, because I absolutely, uh, well, sucked at golf, quite honestly, playing with, <laughs> play, playing with my feet and then someone entertaining the idea. Oh yeah. Now the way now you have to hit a really small ball with a stick. Um, it was just really puzzling to me, but, um, you know, one thing I always encourage, encourage people within the industry is like, listen, I'm never going to implement something with my athlete that I have not first done. Right. Mm -hmm. Or even, even tried to execute. And so I, you know, if I was going to really start working with the golfer, that's why I, I went through great lengths to, to just understand the golf swing, understand the nuances of it, understand the, you know, the terminologies behind it, but then to start to really understand the whole if this is going on in the body then this is going on in the golf swing or vice versa um and it was a really powerful time uh and so i started to acquire a lot of the golf uh, athletes and a lot of the guys on the pga and um and you know throughout the career it's brought us to some amazing uh opportunities to work with top athletes um I mean, heck, I'm here in Austin, Texas, working at the World, you know, uh, golf match, uh, World Golf Championship. So, uh, I mean, this is just one of the coolest gigs ever, um, and I'm extremely passionate about it, which I think helps. Uh, I love the game of golf because it just represents so much about life. Um, but also, you know, I like being part of the the changing of the shape of the game. You know, I mean, these guys are just freaking athletes now. And so it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to kind of have a little bit of a thumbprint on it. I wanted to ask you about your relationship with Jordan and Will Zalatoris. How did that form and, and how has that kind of evolved over the last few years? Yeah, no, I've, you know, I've worked with Jordan since he was around 16. So uh, he and I have a lot of dirt on one another. Um, <laughs> But, you know, it's quite funny, even with Will, um, you know, Will, we've been working, I want to say probably, oh, gosh, about two years, two and a half years uh, together, um, you know, him just coming onto the scene as well. Um, it, it's interesting because, you know, it's, there's a coach-client uh, or coach-athlete relationship, right, where they have implicit trust in you. Um, and I, I, I find that very humbling, to be quite honest, you know. I mean, these guys, they, they could do workouts. They can do recovery stuff on their own. Um, you know, as with most people, I mean, heck, I can Google something and, and get a good program. There's something really humbling when someone comes to you, though, and they say, hey, listen, I need your help. I need you. Here's my body. Can you please do something with it and help it perform at the highest level, right? Whether that be, quite honestly, like the 75-year-old man who just wants to play with his, his grandchildren um to me that's equally as powerful and i'm you know i i, I see the power behind it equally as powerful as, as getting him to play with his grandkids pain-free um as it is you know getting one of these guys to hoist a trophy on a sunday um both you know have the capacity to make an impact on somebody's lives through them either winning a championship or being able to pick up their grandkid i mean you know the ripple effect that you can have as a coach someone in our position uh, to, to make somebody feel better um, and, and play at the highest level. It's, it's a big uh, responsibility, and, and, but at the same time, a big dose of humility for these athletes and these clients that come through our doors every day and say, hey, listen, I just need your help. So that, to me, I flip back, back on myself and go, okay, dude, you better show up 100% every freaking day because they're giving you their body 
<laughs> and you better, you know, I mean, not to, to simplify it, right? But I mean, they're they're asking you to to just do something with this hot meat suit that we have, right? And just help it perform at a high level. And um, and I think it's so cool. And the, the relationship that you can create through, you know, the coach-athlete relationship, um, you know, there's a massive amount of trust. I need to trust that the athlete's going to bring their A game every single time. Um, because they know that they're going to implicitly trust me to bring my A game every single time as well. I mean, listen, but you know, we're going to have off days and, and things like that. Let's definitely be realistic. But at the same time, I think that that's where, you know, just the client coach or the athlete coach relationship, there's something transcendent when, um, you know, you've earned the trust, you've built the trust over a period of time. Um, and quite honestly, you know, success begets that type of trust if they feel better then all of a sudden they're like okay i understand this guy knows what he's doing right or you know i mean successfully footprints as well right and so when, when the athlete points the trophy it, there's something to it there must be um a good thing going on but at the at the end of the day quite honestly i think it boils down to a really dynamic type of I don't even know if a friendship, there's something uh, just a little bit more than that. You just have implicit trust with one another. And uh, I think it's really kind of a lost art. I mean, I think we um, have lost a lot of trust in just human beings in general, right? But in this type of relationship, when when they're trusting me to give the A game and help them perform at the highest level, um, it, it's, it's a really cool dynamic, uh, you know, to be a part of. When you look at a guy like Will, I mean, I mean, a lot of people kind of make fun of his slight stature, but the club head speed that he's able to produce is, you know, second to very few on the PGA Tour. And even a guy like Jordan is not a guy who looks like he's, he's Brooks Kepka. Uh, what are you working with when you have to evaluate these two guys? Yeah, no, I mean, those two guys, I mean, but honestly, their physicality is two completely different physicality profiles, right? Um, Jordan's going to be your country strong kind of Texas bred kind of kid. He, he's he's freakishly strong. Um, you know, Will. You know, quite honestly, over the past year and a half, we've actually gained about twenty pounds, which is a little frightening, right? But that kid too. I mean, you know, it's funny because if you were to actually take a look at the practice days when they're wearing shorts and things like that, you can actually see Will has got tree trunks for legs. I mean, absolute tree trunks, right? And and that's honestly where a lot of his power is coming from, right? His ability to use the ground and take advantage of the ground up approach is is really powerful. Plus, he's he's just got a lot of length, right? He's, he's a lot a lot of mobility and and um, you know, that was one of the key things where, you know, we'll go through rigors of ongoing assessments all the time. And I'm taking a look at, you know, the efficiency of movement patternings. I'm taking a look at, you know, what is our mobility profiles? I'm taking a look at, um, you know, hand in hand working with, you know, guys like, you know, Dr. Anthony Lissy, we're doing blood profiles. I'm taking a look at inflammation markers. We're taking a look at um, a lot of the nutritional profiles. How can we, you know, uh, decrease inflammation on an ongoing basis in order to then take advantage of our exercise programming. You know, what are our recovery strategies? Um, and so, you know, you can take an athlete and do your assessment. And so that's kind of, you know, your internal variables, how efficient they are. But I also have to take a look at 
everything that's an external variable for these guys. You know, what is our sleep patterns? What's our stress patterns? What, um, you know, what are we feeding? What's the environment going to be like, right? All those things, um, or, you know, what's our schedule? What's our flight schedule? All these things um, wreak havoc on just the ability to move, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you and I, you know, if we have a bad night's sleep, I mean, you know, for me, if I have a bad night's sleep, I'm, I'm, I am a bear to, to be around, right? Yes. But, but if someone were to ask me, hey, by the way, you just have poor night's sleep, uh, can you stand over a putt that's worth over a million dollars and drain it from eight feet? I'm not going to be able to do that, right? Or, you know, or at least I'm not going to have the cognition to, to do that at my top level, right? So there's a lot of external variables that we're monitoring, a lot of the intrinsic stuff like the movement efficiencies and the range of motion, the stability profiles, the you know blood profiles. I mean, there is a lot that goes into it, even with our habit I'm doing that as well because I'm, I'm just trying to find that kingpin of what can I actually get sniper level quality um, of programming uh, rather than just throwing a lot of fluff out there because movement is great. I can get any, I can get anybody to move and sweat and bleed and puke and blah, but that's not artful, right? You know, you know, we've all done that, and that's it's not never fun. But to be able to take a human being and you know, the kind of the the athlete in and be able to elicit level levels of performance with sniper level accuracy is is really fun, right? And uh, and I would rather do that than just try to you know really throw a lot of noodles on the wall and go, ah, I hope it works, or even worst case. You know, you got, you know, I've worked so long with Jordan and go, okay, well, it must have worked with Jordan. Let me try it with Will, right? They're two completely different animals, right? Mm -hmm. Or even a guy like Davis, right? They're just two, you know, all these athletes are completely different. And so you've got to take, you know, your standard, standard testing profiles and go, okay, how can we, you know, one, decipher what's going on in my profiles and understanding what the next best, best step is going to be in terms of programming. And then, you know, how do we communicate that effectively to the team? And so whether your team is going to be full swing coach or, you know, your functional doc or whoever it may be, short game coach, just getting everybody on the same page and go, hey, this is what's going on with the athlete. Here's the direction that we go. How can we start to, and this is the cool piece of um, you know, working with the instructors, how can we start to parallel our progressions together well mm -hmm. um, to then even kind of catalyze even more of a bigger response on performance levels for our athlete. Uh, so that's a beautiful conversation to constantly have. Uh, but if you're not, you know, if you're not testing, if you're not understanding, um, you know, every single day looking at your athlete and having your checkpoint it's just guesswork and the last thing i want to do when someone asks me like yourself like what do you do for a guy like jordan i don't know we just work out no i mean i need to give you a pinpoint you know answer right and and so therein lies the the onus that's back on the coach is like i need to know what we're working on i need to know why and, and if an outsider was to take a look at our lesson or our session and ask why in the world are you doing that movement I can then go back to that person to go, okay, this is why, this is how it's, you know, exposed itself in the profile, the movement inefficiency and in a, you know, the swing pattern as well. And so this is why we're eliciting this particular movement right here, right now. Right. And so, 
that's why I say sniper level quality and programming is, is, is really paramount. And what is the relationship between, let's say, flexibility, mobility, and your strength in terms of muscle development in golf? I mean, it, it's a lot different than it is in other sports, right? When, you, when you're trying to add different mobility. Yeah. Well, listen, I mean, you know, it's really interesting to take a look at the golf swing, right? We're doing it in fairly static position, right? It's not like we're dealing with a basketball player or, you know, a, a wide receiver where they're doing a lot of multi-directional movement on the fly, trying to utilize the ground. You know, we've got static feet. We've got, a, you know, uh, a lot of moving parts, literally everything going on all at the same time. Uh, I need to take a look at, you know, first and foremost, understanding how efficient is their uh, swing sequence, right? I need to understand uh, all the profiles of are the mobile joints mobile? Are the stable joints stable? Right? Are they producing power? Are they stabilizing power? So the relationship, you know, really between the mobility and stability model and understanding that with the athlete, um, it's a it's a really fine dance when if one immobile piece within the entire chain uh, occurs, it's going to affect something all the way up and below, up or, or below the chain. And so um, to identify that is key. Um, but then, you know, I think, I don't think, I never think, I know <laughs> that, uh, you know, when you, when you can identify those areas of instability or areas of immobility, then the, ability to understand this is how it's impacting the the golf swing um and in the particular where whatever um you know area in the golf swing that might be um creating you know a characteristic if you will then you go okay how can i design a program that's going to then mitigate that number one reduce you know number one reduce the, the risk of injury but let's take a guy like a like a Will. I needed to get muscle on him, right? And, and I think it's highly important to understand hypertrophy for individuals is is a good thing. Can I take it too far? A hundred percent, right? Um, but you know, a guy like you know, like a Will, yeah, I needed to get some muscle on him. The main reason why is, man, <laughs> he's got such a big engine that if i didn't have a braking system in that car i don't care how much i try to punch the engine if i can't brake i'm going to run into a wall at some point right? right and so that's where hypertrophy will come into play is i need to build mechanisms for him to withstand um the rigors of, of his type of golf swing he's got a lot of speed um and so but therein lies a lot of the stability work a lot of mobility work and to be quite honest, we were able to elicit some amazing factors into his golf swing without truly going through a, a very lengthy hypertrophy phase. You know, we unlocked a, little, a lot of things in his what we'll call corrective programming, just fixing stuff, right? And then his efficiency rating skyrocketed. And I go, oh, cool. Now we can build on this and then make it repeatable and then avoid injury, right? So muscular development to me, you know, it's, it's a very broad term, right? You know, what is muscular development? Um, but I'll always go back to the fact is, you know, if I've got a you know, defensive lineman, you bet your buns, I need to make him huge and make him very, very strong. 
but I also need to understand the professional sport, right? The, the, the lifespan of an NFL guy or the lifespan, when I say lifespan, just the time they spend within their career um, or NBA is very minimal. I mean, almost, almost like, I'm going to say it's like three and a half, four years, right? right, right. Not, a, not a really long time. And so I take a guy like that as a professional, I go, man, I don't have a lot of time to really work with this guy. So I need to make him perform very strong, very fast all the time, right? Now I take a look at a professional golfer and I go, okay, now I've got a a career that's going to be a longer career professionally, right? The rigors of the sport, I mean, they're playing every single day, you know, and they may have a travel day they're still going they're still getting work in that that particular day i mean they're they're having to play their sport every single day which um you know most sports don't do right and so they'll get some type of practice in but uh these guys are having to perform uh, at high levels you know four days out of the week but then you know they're also having to entertain programs they're having to practice they're having to uh, learn a new course and so you know there's a lot of nuances and rigors to uh, being a professional athlete on the tour, that I have them for a little bit, a little bit longer. Now, and this may be a little controversial to say, but but honestly, I think the lifespan of the PGA guy might might be a little less now because mm. of the shape of the game being changed. I mean, goodness gracious, take a look at some of the winners, you know, from the past couple of years. I mean, we've got a lot of young guys, right? Yep. And a, a lot of names that, you know, everyone's like, wait a minute, I haven't heard of that guy. And he's winning, right? And he's looking fit and he's looking strong. Um, and, and, it's, and I love that, right? And so if you take a look at in the college ranks, I mean, goodness gracious, take a look at the top 10 guys right on the junior side or on the college side right now. They're freaking athletes. And they're going to come out here on the PGA Tour and with a wrecking ball and, and do their thing. Right. So, you know, I, I always encourage my guys, like, you know, make hay while the sun shines is like somebody's clipping on your heels constantly. And these young guns that are coming up, I mean, my goodness, they're really good, really sharp, really fit. And they're ready to, you know, fill in the shoes of, of the top guys. There are a lot of Cameron Youngs out there, right? With ball speeds well over 180 at this point. Uh, yeah, that guy. Man, he's an athlete, baby. He, yeah, plus a good dude. He's a really good dude. So, When you said Will put on about 20 pounds, how does he go about doing that? What's the time span of that happening? Yeah, so I made sure we did that fairly incrementally over, over about a year and a half time span, right? Didn't want to do it quickly because uh, then... Uh, you're not going to have a lot of adaptations to that, you know, and it can work conversely as well. You know, you take somebody that's overweight and you go, okay, we've got to lose 40 pounds and they try to do it within four months. Man, it's, there's so much that changes, you know, with just within the golf swing, you know? Um, And so when I take a look at weight gain, weight loss, it's got to be done over a period of time. I've got to, I've got to specifically understand, is there a goal uh, that we're working on for that particular, um, you know, thing, whether it be weight loss or weight gain. Um, but I've got to do it over a period of time because I've, I've got to understand there's got to be a lot of adaptation, um, you know, neurologically, neuromuscularly, um, to, to make the incremental fine-tuned changes with weight loss. You know, because when it's done, and we've seen it time and time again, when somebody loses weight really quick, um, good for them. You know, they, they've done an amazing job doing that. But then their swing, you know, can all you know falter quite a bit uh, because now 
your brain is like, whoa, wait a minute, I've got a brand new body that I've got old images, old motor patterns of the way we were. Um, now I'm dealing with on the fly, having to do quick adaptations to this nude body that uh, I haven't adapted to just yet. And so that's why I say um, you know, more of a strategic approach towards it is over a period of time, right? Um, whether that be, you know, the intent or if there's a medical reason, obviously, um, then that's a different story. But uh, if, if I've got somebody that needs to, to lose some weight, it's going to be over a period of time. Not I'm not going to try to fast track that because there's a lot of nuances to it, right, on both sides either weight loss or weight gain i've got to change sleeping patterns i've got to change nutritional strategies i've got to change stress management mechanisms <laughs> you just those three alone you know as a habit for most individuals it, it's tough and so just even with that it, it's going to be a long period of time to change nutritional strategies change sleeping strategies change stress management mechanisms um and then the byproduct is living in a, a newfound body right um but i'm realistic as well and those, those take time i'm not going to try to rush that process i want to ask you about speed training because the way that golf is played now i mean the driver is such a vital part of the game right where it's all about power and ball speed and club head speed you know, when you look at a guy like, you know, I know Colin Morikawa mentioned that he tried to do it kind of a long-term speed training where he wanted to gain, you know, one mile per hour of ball speed over six months. Um, and then there have been guys like, you know, Dylan Fratelli or, or Bryson DeChambeau who have kind of come in with a different mindset of trying to really maximize their their distance in a short amount of time. What's What's your philosophy when it comes to that? I, I always love this this question. Um, I'm a big fan of the, of just watching the ball absolutely get bombed and crushed. I think it's I think it's entertaining, right? Uh, but you know, statistically too, you can prove it. You know, if you're longer off the tee, it's better. You know, I mean, it's just simply better. So the search for speed is very interesting, right? I think we can actually open, unfortunately, Pandora's box to it um, because. Um, you know, all we see, you know, without any kind of context is, you know, the guys that are in search for speed and all they're doing is going 100 miles per hour and they're, you know, training all the time. And so we, we get a, a very small portion of the context and how they do that, right, or how they attack uh, gaining speed. My biggest preface on this is, listen, it you know, once again, I'm, you know, I even said it earlier, is like, listen, you can build a massive engine, right, that has all the horsepower in the world, uh, which represents speed, right? But if your framework or your braking system sucked, you're going to hit a wall at some point, mm. right? So but here's the deal, is most individuals don't realize their movement inefficiency is creating slower speeds. And so I can elicit speed gain just by simply unlocking mobility gains unlocking stability yeah. gains you know just within the first couple months and you know the biggest feedback is, is listen you know we haven't even worked on quote unquote speed training but your gains have gone up two three miles per hour right and they're like whoa wait how did that happen like because all the moving parts are moving better mm -hmm. right and so the problem is when I go from zero to 60, 
and I go, okay, I want to gain, you know, five more miles per hour in my swing speed. And I'm going to go, you know, get the cutest little speed apparatus that I can use. And I'm just going to do all these drills, right? Without understanding the context of you sucked to begin with at your swing pattern. Now all you're doing is making it a faster, sucky swing pattern, right? Yeah, you gained five miles per hour but your swing pattern absolutely is atrocious and your efficiency is atrocious. Mm. So the problem with that is, is, is all you're doing is you're taking a faulty movement pattern and just making a faulty movement pattern faster and then potentially opening up the opportunity for injury to happen because your compensations are that much more enhanced that now you have the opportunity for potential injury. Right. And so that's why I say speed's got to be done over a period of time, especially, you know, when we start to take a look at like juniors, right. Uh, There's so much development with juniors happening anyways. Right. And so I can take a 14 year old and a 17 year old. They're completely biologically different. Right. Or I can even take the same 14 year old, you know, male, 14 year old female. They're biologically completely different. Right. Um, And so there's so much that goes into junior development and understanding do I need to, you know, and there's windows of time where speed is really paramount. I can download it really well. Right. And it's going to be like this investment for the future. Right. And when we start to understand long-term athletic development. Um, but, you know, if I'm just taking these uh, juniors, just doing speed, 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 without ever addressing the physical limitations then I, I actually have an opportunity to injure some, some junior athletes and, and wreak havoc on their entire career of the game, right? So understanding physical limitations, whether it be mobility, stability, attacking that first, then making sure I built the basis for a very good framework, I built the basis for a really good ba- braking system, cool, now I can put the Porsche engine in the Porsche frame uh, rather than trying to do all my speed work with a Porsche engine and I've got a, you know, 1984 Honda Accord frame. It's not going to work. It'll go, right? It'll go. It'll look cool for a couple of days, but that framework's going to break at some point. I remember writing about Joseph Bramlett a couple of years ago, and he's gone through a lot of back injuries and a lot of adversity. And there've been a few guys like that who have really struggled with, with back injuries. Is that the result? of kind of the, the lack of efficiency that you're talking about that, that kind of leads to some of the lower back injuries? You know, without understanding the entire pathology of, you know, what they had to deal with from or surgeries or injuries from the past. Right. Um, I mean, listen, we play a sport where uh, it's a lot of torque and if you're hit, you know, if your hips are uh, immobile, if your pelvic is unstable, if my thoracic mid spine is immobile, I'm, you know, a very armsy player, you know, you're going to do a lot of, um, you know, a lot of speed with zero braking. And so what, where is it going to go? It's going to go into your low back, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you take a look at these guys that are doing it, you know, a competitive level, and they're literally having to play every single day. I mean, if they don't have good recovery strategies or even uh, something that is attacking their mobility and stability training on a daily basis, yeah, they're opening themselves up to some type of potential back injury, right? Um, and so, but that's where, you know, without understanding the context, but 
of those particular ones, I mean, I, I would imagine that there's some pathology that led up to the point of, yeah, you've injured your back at this, this moment, and you decided to play a sport that, quite honestly, what we're doing is we're playing a sport that's a unilateral sport. I'm just going to one side with tons and tons of speed, right? Whereas the luxury of other sports, you know, with me playing soccer is I, I used both feet. I transitioned both ways. I ju- I've moved multi-directional. Um, we play a very unnatural biomechanical sport. It's, just, it's not a natural move, right? Um, for, for my swing may look more unnatural than others. But when we take a look at the, the mechanics and the, 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 you know, the physicality of the golf swing, it, you know, with being a one-sided sport all the time, anytime you're pulling your car to the left all the time without ever pulling the car to the right, you're going to have wear and tear on the, uh, on the, you know, on the, on the tires and, and everything else. So that's where, you know, you're trying to develop these guys as an athlete, a multi-directional athlete um, first, and then the nuances of how do I elicit better golf performance gains next is really a fine dance because I'm trying to make them an athlete and making them a long, long-term athlete, you know, that that's going to withstand the rigors. And the last thing I wanted to ask you is kind of along these same lines. We've heard it said a lot recently, and you mentioned this earlier, kind of about this generation of players trying to sell out and kind of wreck their bodies almost to try to maximize their speed and trying to do as well as they possibly can in a short amount of time, uh, rather than taking a different approach where they're looking to have a career for 25, 30 years and really kind of take care of their bodies from, from that angle. What do you think about that? Um, you know, I, I know maybe Jason Day is an example of a guy who recently people have kind of claimed to have done that. Yeah, I mean, but, you know, I even take a, get, a look at a guy like that. I mean, he's had a fairly long career, right? When, you know, I take a look at those and I, I go, all right, let's say a young buck, like like a Davis Riley or somebody that comes in through the door. I mean, listen, we're playing a game of chess, not checkers, right? Mm-hmm. How can I get this guy to, max, you know, let's let's take a look at it from a business standpoint. How can I maximize profit, maximize profits over a long period of time, right? And it's got to be done very intelligent, very concise, very precise decision making, right? And so that's how businesses will make it a very long, long game, right? So we're playing the long game, playing chess with how can I take the young athlete and, you know, draw out, uh, you know, a 15, 20-year career. Um, And so that's where I see, you know, if I'm just going to try to, come onto the scene and go completely wrecking ball with my speed training and just get huge and, you know, try to do all these things. I may, may be opening up an opportunity for my body to go, you know what? You did that pretty quick. I was ill prepared for it. Oh yeah. By the way, I need you to understand we're playing a very unnatural sport and um, you're still doing very high levels of performance that I'm not ready for. It's going to give up. Right. And the body's going to give up. And so, um, you know, that's where I think coaches and even on the instruction side, as well as, as the, you know, the physio side and the strength coach side, you really, you know, in someone in my position, I need to be able to understand the golf swing and, and be able to have the conversation with the instructor, vice versa. I mean, the instructors, listen, dude, you're dealing with a human body, 
and you're asking it to do some really interesting things. Mm -hmm. And so we get caught into the nuances of what plane we're in and some newfound plane that we just discovered. And, and we have these crazy discussions when you forget that you're actually dealing with a human body that needs to do the movement, right? And so that's where, you know, surrounding yourself with uh, the educational platform that you can then draw from and go, okay, how can I tell Susie who's on the range to stop doing over the top? Well, I probably need to team up with a strength coach that understands how the nuances of what goes into the human body doing over the top. And then all of a sudden, it, you know, it enhances Susie's time with the instructor. Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, Susie feels better. Susie then goes to the instructor more. And then, by the way, Susie uses the country club a lot more and gets more rounds of golf because she's playing better mm -hmm. and she feels better. And then all of a sudden, it's a win-win for everybody, right? And so now, you know, to kind of go full circle in your question, you know, yeah, the game is taking a completely different shape. Um, you got to perform at a high level. Uh, it's going to take, you know, over a period of time if if you don't have the platform of training as a junior or training as a college athlete. You know, the guys that I worry about are the mid twenty guy that comes to me and goes, "I'm on the PGA. Um, I think I need to start training." excuse me you haven't been training are you freaking kidding me right now you're a professional <laughs> athlete right and so that's who i worry about because you know it kind of goes back to the silly quote of um, you know what is it it's easier to make an athlete a golfer than a golfer an athlete right so mm -hmm. if i've developed a golfer uh, from junior level on the way up and, and really built inner athleticism for him it's easier to make him you know do cool things on the golf side uh, than vice versa I've got a kiddo that's come to me and all they've done is played golf and they try to be an athlete. Man, it's such a hard road to hoe uh, mm -hmm. just to get them to even, you know, touch their toes without falling over. Right. So, and, and listen, they, uh, this is such a fun, uh, you know, position to be in because, you know, you get the opportunity to change the shape of individuals, you know, physically, emotionally, you know, spiritually, all these things just by implementing some really cool things on a training floor. Right. Uh, but even more so, I think uh, golf is really fun just because there's such, you know, like I said, there's such a representation of life. And, and, you know, when we get to do it at this level, even today, I mean, just the you know, massive amount of kids that are out here, um, you know, just looking up to these guys, you know, I just find it so absolutely awesome uh, because, they, you know, just by simply doing, um, you know, proper training and performing at a high level, all this stuff. They have the ability to make a huge impact. And who knows, right? The kid that's just standing there, you know, hoping to play one day, you know, and it, it, to me, that's pretty cool. The impact that these guys can have um, is, is pretty, pretty awesome. It's easy to tell that you love your job. It, it definitely comes across. <laughs> <laughs> no, I freaking love it, man. Yeah, it, it's so much fun. It, it really is. But yeah, anytime you get to do a, you know, interviews like this, and I'm honored to be on here with you. And, but I'm looking at a beautiful day and beautiful golf course. And uh, sometimes I got to pinch myself and go, okay, this is pretty cool. Awesome. Well, Damon, thank you for joining us. This was very informative, very, very insightful. And maybe we could have you on again sometime. Absolutely. I loved it. Now, anytime you guys want me on, I'm in. All right. Sounds good. Have a good weekend in Austin. All right, guys. Talk soon.
Thanks again to Damon Goddard for coming on to the show. This will go down as one of my favorite episodes we've done, and I hope you enjoyed it too. I just wanted to end with a reminder to subscribe and rate our podcast if you have time. If you want to reach me with any questions or comments, you can do so at sean at graph.golf. Our next episode is coming up this Monday, March 28th, as we look ahead to the Masters and what a wonderful part of the year we are in for golf fans and just golfers in general. We have some exciting guests coming up, so we hope you will continue to tune in. We'll see you again next week. Cheers. Cheers.